Welcome to this week's podcast from the Eucliping Church. We hope you enjoy this message. While you're standing, why don't you go across the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, say hello while I get my stuff together. Pastor, is there any way to dim the runway lights? <laughs> For whatever reason, I'm getting a major reflection on my notes. That's better. There we go. Well, how are y'all doing? I'm so happy to be here, especially after I had lunch with Pastor Jacob and Pastor Anna. What a precious couple. What an ambitious couple. Five kids. Oh, my goodness. But I fell in love with them, and I'm so grateful that we uh, see things in a similar light. And I've had this strong sense this whole time we've been worshiping the Lord that over the next few days that God is going to have me busting up some myths. There's going to be some lies that we expose. There are going to be some assumed truths that we destroy. And we destroy them through the power of the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. As I was sitting there, by the way, I'm glad to have the key intercessor for our ministry, Dorcas Owens, here. She's been here before. And Dorcas will know what I'm talking about. I don't know why here in Bryan, don't ask me why I sense this, but I felt that God wants to do something here that he did in a little farming town called Guapiles one month after my father passed away. I was still in mourning. I almost wondered if I would be able to carry on. In fact, I had many conversations with God. I felt like I couldn't carry his load. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I never asked Joshua to go back and pick up Moses' rod. He said, I asked Joshua to use his feet. And if he would just obey me, I would give to him every bit of the ground that the soles of his feet tread upon. And he said, if you will hear my voice and obey me, I will take you places that your father has never been. And he has been true to his word. But while I was processing all of this, I landed in a town called Guapiles. And I have to tell you, I had preached under the tents. I had organized crusades. I had preached overseas. But if there are any ministers in the house, or sometimes you just don't feel like you're capable of doing it. And that night, because I was still grieving, addressing a, a crowd of about 7,000 people, I wondered, was I, was I going to be able to carry through? And I didn't pray three hours that afternoon. I just got on my face before the Lord, and I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me something tonight. 
And when I said that, I went to the auditorium. It was a bull ring. And as soon as I entered where the platform was, I knew that God was on the field. I just knew it. The worship that night was strong. It was different. But I was like a caged lion. I was rocking in my chair. And I was feeling that way tonight. Like God wanted to deliver a message. But when I got up to preach, all I could talk about was Jesus. Tell the people what your pastor's been saying. Jesus is here on this field. I didn't come to bring an American God. I didn't come to bring white man's religion. But I came as a representative of the son of the most high God. He's not just sitting on the throne. But he's here right now walking up and down these aisles. And as I began to speak, all of a sudden, a young man, he looked to be about 22, 23, he just came out of the stands and fell on his face before God. The ushers looked at me like, what do I do? Because they were prepared for the end of the service. And I just did this, like come and pray with them. Well, they came to pray, and I started to preach. Just got to my text. I just opened my text, and here comes two more. Here comes four more. And I said, if you feel the tug of God on your heart, you can come and pray. You're not interrupting me. So I started to read a little bit. Then I started to preach a little bit. Here comes five more. Here comes 10 more. Here comes 20 more. And I said, Jesus is interrupting my message tonight. <laughs> he can interrupt me anytime he wants to. Well, when I said that, the stands let out. And there were people all over the front crying out to God. They were getting saved and healed and delivered. I saw the pastor that invited me. He still works with me these days. His name is Pastor Jaime. He was wiping tears away. He was looking at me like, you? He didn't know what in the world. But that night, God showed me something. See, there was a town a farming town that nobody knew, but God knew. God found them. He knew there were people of faith there. He connected with their faith. He connected with their intercession. And when they were praying, God brought somebody that dared to believe with them, and something exploded in Guapales that day. God also used it. There was a man on the platform who was connected all over South America. He said, tell Donna I will connect her anywhere she wants to go in Central or South America because he saw what God did. Now, I'm sitting here in Bryan, Texas, <laughs> two and a half hours from where I live, and God brings that sense back to me. I'm saying, Lord, am I supposed to share that or is that just for me? But I believe, listen, there's the heart that's hungering for revival in this place. And if we will just recognize it's not by our might or power, but it's by his spirit. Jesus wants revival more than we do. If we can just hear his voice, if we can just partner with him, he's going to blow our mind. Is that okay? 
So I, I called uh, Pastor Brian and I said, listen, I really want to do something different the first couple of nights at least. And I'm going to ask you, if you have anything to write on, I suggest you get it out. Because I felt led of God to work through part of a, um, um, I'm going to call it a seminar that I developed on the anointing for miracles. And um, I don't usually teach on a revival service. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher too. But I just really felt like I need to lay some foundation. Pastor, could you hand me the, that top book? Most of the material that I'm going to cover this weekend, and I don't know, I might divert a little bit, but this is called The Anointing for Miracles. Can I ask you, how many of you are familiar with my dad, R.W. Shambuck? Many of you. Well, I was invited to be on the Sid Roth uh, It's Supernatural program. Sid actually worked with my dad for a short time in Coney Island. He actually came under the tent. And I just dropped by to say hey and let him know that the ministry was still going on. And he said, well, if you're going to be on the show, you need a book. And I didn't come to ask to be on the show. But uh, he said, no, listen, he said, well, do you have anything on your dad? I said, yeah, I have all his miracle stories. He said, but Donna, you know, people want to know not just that God performs miracles, but people want to know how can I have miracles happen in my life through me? Is there anybody in this room that has that desire? If so, raise your hand. I see you had to see, that's mostly all of you. And he said, you have a unique position because you got to observe the man in action your whole life. Why don't you look at what you observed on your dad on a regular basis that opened him up to the supernatural? And why don't you write that book? And so that's what I did. I took his favorite stories that he loved to tell, miracle stories. And then I also looked at eight different keys that I believe operated in his life, and not only his life, but my mother's life as well. In fact, I grew up in a faith family. We'll be talking about that tonight. But I really believe that if we can learn these things, if they can become part of our thinking, if we can study them out, if we can ask God to plant them deep in our spirit, we can live naturally in the supernatural. I really believe it. And these, as I was telling you, Pastor, as I began to write, I noticed, I said, wow, those operated in Jesus' life too. <laughs> Isn't that something, that we can have the ministry of Christ? And that's what we're going for, isn't it? So I'm going to uh, just pray for a minute and get you all uh, ready to take a few notes, and then we'll just see what God does tonight. I, I have a feeling he's going to do some mighty things tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for everyone in this room. They honor me with their presence, God, and I thank you that you honor us with your presence, Lord. Father, we pray that as we speak tonight that the real teacher will come in the room. Lord, that you would impart your heart for your people, especially in this day and age, God. We need what you're trying to 
impress upon our spirits. Father, some of us know quite a bit. Some of us know a little. But, Lord, we want to know by the power of the Holy Spirit and be ready every moment to be used for you. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. I'm really thankful that many ministers today have picked up the responsibility to teach on miracles, go after miracles, pray and believe for miracles. When my dad was starting out, it wasn't that case. There were people who were designated as quote-unquote faith healers. They often got a bad rap because uh, they were considered to be mystics or charlatans, you name it. Um, but there is a group of people, younger ministers, that recognize that Jesus told us the truth when he said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works shall you do. And there are those that just chose to take Jesus at his word. And I want to witness, and I know you can witness too, miracles are taking place. I'm not hoping for miracles. I'm seeing them happen. I've seen them happen my entire life, but they're not just happening on the mission field. Guess what? They're happening in Texas too. And they're happening in East Texas where I live, and I've got a sneaking suspicion they're happening in Bryan as well. Because everywhere that Jesus walks, the miracle worker walks. That's who he is. It's part and parcel. If he can just connect with people who will look at him and receive him for who he is. Just recently, God uh, gave us a piece of property in Tyler. It's an old Baptist church, and we have a sanctuary for the first time in four years again. And God put it on my heart to open up that sanctuary for miracle services. We're going to do five of them this year. We already had our first one. And he impressed me to call it Miracle Chapel. And the first service we had designated was a few weeks ago when we had the, the worst winter storm in our season. How many remember that? We actually had it scheduled for the third, but we had to move it to the fourth. But even in the, that freezing cold, when we wouldn't expect Texans to come out, we had 70% capacity. But the greatest thing that I loved about that meeting was God sent a woman to testify of what God had done in her life just one year previously, and she was from Tyler, Texas. She was a preacher's wife. She was invited to come to our women's conference just one year previously. And she was very honest. She said she didn't want to go. She was in tremendous pain. She didn't feel like she had anything to wear. She didn't have any energy. She didn't feel like being around people. But because she was the pastor's wife and she had mentioned it to a few women, she felt like she had to go. Have any of you ever had that feeling like you didn't want to go to church, but you went anyway? I have found that usually those are the nights that you get the biggest blessing of your life. So always push through that feeling. 
Well, she came, and we had prayer like we always do for the sick. And I remember her clearly. She had a hard time standing. And I was telling your pastor today that we began to work that miracle with her. She looked at me like I lost my mind several times. I asked her if she could stand, barely. I asked her if she could lift her knees, barely. But she did it in obedience. And then she kept lifting and kept lifting. I said, can you take a step? She looked like she didn't want to take a step. But I put my hand up underneath her hand, and she began to move forward ever so slowly. I was telling the pastor, when the Lord uses me in the working of miracles, I'm usually trying to sense what God is doing. And the reason I put my hand underneath hers, I wanted to see how hard she was leaning on me. Because when God begins to heal her, it goes from her leaning on me heavy to getting lighter. And when I felt it getting lighter, I said, let's go for a walk. And we started to go. We might have taken three or four steps, and all of a sudden, she screamed and started running. She took off running one way, and then the next way, and she came back and was jumping up and down and screaming. I said, you're acting like a crazy preacher's wife. She came back to testify a year later that still after a year, that pain has not returned. God completely healed her, healed her of a nine-year case of lupus. She had completely been decap... De, uh, she wasn't able to function. And um, she was able to walk, and now she's shopping again. And she said, God gave me a new life back. How many of you would like to see that happen in the people that live near you? Some of you need it in your own life. And God's going to do it. He's going to do it. See, but what I have found is that this message is being revived in a time when God's people have been attacked so severely. Everywhere we look, there are desperate, desperate people. I believe there's a new hunger in people to seek after God. But there's also a desperation. So many illnesses, this virus thing has taken so many people out. There's been financial issues that have resulted as uh, because people have lost their jobs, you know that. And many family issues. We, we hear about the suicide rates that have gone up among the young people. The, the church has to understand that we can no longer conduct business as usual. We've got to be a people who understand our role. We're not here to do God a favor by coming to church. In fact, the, the what he told us to do was not to sit in church. You know, you can't find a scripture anywhere that tells you to sit in church. And Jesus always went to church because that's a good place to go to learn the word, right? It's an equipping center to do what? To send you out, to go and do the works of Christ and the power of Christ. And that's why I believe God is raising up an army that knows how to live and breathe the Spirit of God and obey Him. I want you to write that down because you're going to get that as we go along. It's not just learning how to say the right words to get somebody healed, but we have to be a people who live and breathe the Holy Spirit of God and obey Him. What do you mean by that? 
God is the one who directs you toward the people with needs. He knows the people with faith. He knows the right moment, the right timing. And so we have to be alert to that. Can I tell you a little story? I was in the tent in Camden, New Jersey, and my dad used to love to have people come and testify. And one night he called people. How many of you have ever been delivered, set free from drugs? Well, I have heard, seen him do that so many times. There were 25 people coming to the mic to give a testimony about being set free from drugs. And can I tell you, I got a little bored because, I mean, I've heard it so many times. But this one guy who came up, it was like throwing cold water in my face. I never forgot to this day what he said. He said, I used to shoot up outside the Pentecostal church, and I used to curse the people that came out. Well, he got my attention. He said, I knew they had the power to set me free, but they just walked by me. Indicted. I immediately felt indicted because I thought, how many people have I walked by where they themselves know they can see an anointing on us. They can sense a presence on us. But the enemy has us so tied up in knots with lies, telling us how can God use you or getting you oppressed about your finances or telling you it's never going to happen or keeping you underneath your circumstance. And we just walk by the people that need the touch of God. Let me tell you something. Write this down. The moment you decide to come up under the leading of the Holy Spirit and lay hands on somebody and set them free, there's no amount of money, there's no piece of candy, there's no piece of jewelry that will give you as much a joy as seeing a soul set free by the power of the Most High God. I can guarantee you, your depression will be broken in a minute if you just let God use you. So, I don't claim to know everything. You don't either. And there are some things I've come to believe in my many years in Pentecost that I will never know. And I think God likes it that way. He likes to be a bit of a mystery. I think he likes to surprise us every once in a while. But tonight I'm going to talk to you about some patterns that I've observed that open people up to the supernatural. I've seen them in my own household. I've seen them in my father's ministry, my own ministry. And as I dialogue with other ministers that operate in the supernatural, similar patterns. So, let's start with Psalm 145, verse 4 and 5. This is an important verse to know. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works. There's so much powerful truth in this. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Both praise and declaration have to do with what? 
the mouth. But if you take time to listen to the conversation of many believers and church, church folks, what do we hear? Well, sometimes with the older folks, when you go to the lunchroom, it's, oh, my doctor put me on another medication. Look, my blood pressure, it's really so, oh, yep, I had that one too. Did you get the COVID vaccine? Yep, I'm on my third shot. Or we talk about, oh, got another bill from the government. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my taxes this time. The church seems to be rehearsing their woes and the attack of the enemy and the things that they are under way more than they talk about the goodness of God. I think I'm going to talk to the wall for a minute. See, and I think that there is a reason. Can I just be real with you? It's because the church has become a center for mollycoddling people. How many of you have a need? Come to the altar. Let me boo-hoo over you. Somebody's going to call you and bring you some cookies so you feel good about coming back to our church. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus didn't give anybody a cookie. Jesus told them their stuff, told them to repent. Then he said, go and be healed. And don't keep sinning so a worse thing doesn't come upon you, right? In other words, responsibility for what we hear. And so one of the things that we have to train ourselves to do if we run and really see miracles is to order our tongues. Not looking for somebody to feel sorry for me or pat me on the back or tell you it's going to be all right, honey. But looking for what has God done in your life today? How has he answered your prayer? What do you know about the goodness of Jesus? I grew up in a church in the inner city. I was probably the only little white girl in that church most of the time I was in there. And those ladies that worked in that church, a lot of them didn't have uh, high-paying jobs. Many of them scrubbed floors for a living. But I never knew anybody to come in looking for a pity party. When they got off the bus, they came in, I believe I'll testify while I have a chance. And they come in singing. And they speak to each other about the goodness of God and what God's done in their life. They're not complaining about scrubbing the floor. They're giving God praise. And that praise is what opened them up to the supernatural. They may not have had two nickels to rub together, but they had a God that heard them when they cried out to him. And they were always provided for. We've got to learn how to declare the praises of God and especially to teach this new generation about who he is. Remind them that he's a miracle-working God. Listen, I, you know, I really didn't have a choice because I lived in my dad's household where I always heard him telling his great big God stories. In fact, we couldn't wait till he came back. From his meeting, we'd all sit around the table, and he'd tell us all the details. He loved miracles. He loved to see God work. 
And we'd be sitting there listening to what God did, who was set free from drugs, what families were put back together, divorces that that uh, the divorce papers were already <laughs> torn up, the, 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 the husband and the wife had already separated, and God put the marriage back together. You know, he would, he would talk about things that people wouldn't even believe today. Can I tell you one of them? It's in the book. There's a lot of them in there. But he had four churches. The first one was in Newark, New Jersey. Second one was in Brooklyn. Third one was in Philadelphia. And the fourth one was in Chicago. And every one of them had signs and wonders and miracles. But there, he would go back to Chicago and do revival meetings Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there was a husband and a wife that came to him for counseling. And the husband said to my dad, he said, Brother Shambach, he said, my wife's very angry at me because I told her that if she ever passed out from her sugar diabetes, her foot was almost to the point of having gangrene and the doctors wanted to amputate. He said, I told her, I'm taking her, and the surgery is going to be done, and she wants to divorce me. And dad had to talk to her because she was trying to exercise her faith, and the husband loved his wife. <laughs> and he said, listen, honey, he just loves you. But I'm going to tell you something. Even if that doctor takes that foot off, I know God can give you a brand new one. Well, just so happened she did pass out, and she did go in. She did have surgery, and her foot was amputated. And she came limping through the line. Dad said everybody's eye was on her because they knew she was waiting for a miracle. Dad prayed in the name of Jesus, touched that exposed foot, asked God to give her a brand new foot. Nothing happened. But he said in his spirit he knew God was doing the work. And she started to scream, thank you, Jesus, for my brand new foot. He said he and she were having a praise party, and everybody else was saying, well, he missed it that time. But he would, you know, go back and forth to Chicago, and all of a sudden, she called him, and she said, Brother Shambach, she said, something's happening with my foot. He says, well, what's happening, darling? She says, I went to the doctor, and he, he's scratching his head, because when he unbandaged my foot, it looks like there's new skin growing. It looks like there's new tissue growing. So he wants me to come back in a month. So a month later, now Dad's curious. He goes back. Now there's two or three doctors in the room. They take the bandage off, and there's a, a stump that grew one inch. Now it's starting to hit the papers because the third time she comes back, there's a room full of doctors because they don't believe it. They want to see for themselves. They take the bandage off. Now it's almost three-quarters grown, and the papers began to publicize this miracle foot. Hallelujah. Dad went back to Chicago about six months later, and he said while he was preaching, the back door swung open, and out comes this woman with brand-new boots on, high-heel boots. And he said, now, women, I don't recommend that you do this in church, but that woman was so proud. 
She came down that aisle. She put her foot on the altar. She unzipped that boot and took that boot off. She unrolled her stockings. He said, women don't ever do that in church. And then my dad, he had to get the last laugh, you know. And then she showed me the biggest foot I've ever seen on a woman. All five toes completely healed. Creative miracle by the power of God. You see, these are the stories I grew up hearing. I knew the people. We expected God to move. And every time he did, it was a celebration. But I didn't just have my dad. I, I shared a room with my grandmother, my grandmother who taught me how to believe for miracles. She taught me how to use the name of Jesus. She was a mild-mannered woman. If you gave her a microphone, her knees would turn to jelly. But she wouldn't take nothing from the devil. I remember the time that my grandfather had a, a cancerous tumor on his nose, and he wanted to go to the doctors to get it checked out. She said, Jim, we can go, but I want to I wanna pray for you in the name of the Lord, and that thing's going to go before you get there. So he knew he couldn't argue with his wife. And she said, in the name of Jesus, I speak to you, you demonic presence. I command you to go back to hell from where you came. And in three days, that thing was off his nose. See, I grew up watching and seeing. I was four years of age. i highly allergic to poison ivy. I had it all over my body, all through my fingers and toes, every crevice you can imagine. And I'll never forget because my parents were going to a meeting, and the last thing my mother said was, hey, put the calamine lotion on Donna. And my grandmother said, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, <laughs> I, I tell Dorcas she reminds me of my grandmother sometimes, even though she's nowhere near that much older than me. But um, anyway, I'm, I remember seeing their car pull out of sight. And she looked at me, and she says, Donna, do you believe Jesus could heal you? I said, yes. She says, well, I am going to pray in the name of Jesus, and that poison ivy is going to go. I said, okay. I didn't pre speak in tongues, nothing. I just was four years old. Okay. Well, she t put me to bed, and she anointed me with oil. And guess what? She forgot that calamine lotion. But I'll never forget, when I woke up that next morning, my skin was as clear as baby skin. To this day, I remember the hand of God healing me. What am I telling you? That if we can forge the habit of talking about the goodness of God, celebrating what he's done. You may have to go fishing because you've talked about the devil so much, the only evidence you have in your house is what the devil's doing. Go talk to the wall again. But if you can find something, an answer to prayer, find something that God has done, honey, talk about it all day long. Remind yourself of what God has done. Do you remember the time? 
when dad didn't have a job? Do you remember the time when the doctor said I shouldn't be here? Do you remember the time when I was on the ventilator and the doctor said I was dead and gone? But look at me now. I have been raised from the dead. I am alive because of Jesus. And we begin to vocalize our faith. That generates an atmosphere for the supernatural, for a supernatural lifestyle. Are you hearing me? So God telling, as it were, is what builds faith in the heart of children. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I've been an educator the first part of my life, and I have a special love in my heart for children and young people. The unfortunate thing is, when I went to the Bronx, New York, to start a Christian school, I was very naive because I literally grew up in a household of faith. I mean, we were taught the Bible. If it wasn't in the Bible, it didn't happen in our house. We, everything that we did was based on truth. But I, when I went to the Bronx, I found that many people came to the Lord late in life. And they didn't have the benefit of godly parents. So when it came to raising children to know God, they didn't have the first clue. They knew how to feed them and put them to bed on time and all that. But how do I teach them about God? And so we have to be people who learn that God wants us to teach our children who he is. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you can get it in them when they're young, they'll never forget it till their dying day. The Catholics knew this very well. They said, give me the kids before they're seven years of age, and we'll never lose them. See, what we've done, unfortunately, in this generation, and I see it even in some members of my own family, we put him in front of this thing, the iPad. We put him in front of cartoons. We put him on TikTok. They're, they're one picture after the other doing inane things. They know more about technology, but talk about Jesus? They don't know anything. I had my nieces, my grandnieces in my house. And this is what I want to tell you. I know I'm wandering, but I, I feel like i got to lay some foundation here. Children, we may think that they have an immature spirit, but I'm going to tell you something. Even though they might not have a fully developed mind and they have immaturity in the natural, their spirit is perceptive, like an adult. How do you know that, Donna? When I was three years of age, I was in the Met. Jack Coe was preaching. My uncle was holding me in his arms. The choir was singing, there's a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors and sets the captive free. There's a river of life flowing out of me. Now, those are not three-year-old words. But in my spirit, I clearly remember saying, when I grow up, that's what I want to do. So it clues me in that you can talk to your children about the Lord. I had my grandnieces in my living room one day, and I started just to talk to them about Jesus. 
know, just matter of fact. I said, have you ever asked him to be your savior? No. Would you like to pray and ask him in now? Yes. And that's what we did. We prayed, and they received Jesus right in my living room floor. When I saw him the next time, <laughs> I'm going to tell him my family. When I saw him the next time, one of them says, Aunt Donna, you're going to be very disappointed in us. I said, well, why? She says, we haven't gone to church in a long time. And I looked at her mom, and I said, I'm not disappointed in you. And her mom said, she's disappointed in me, you know. But this is what I want to tell you. Kids are perceptive. They can hear the voice of God. They want to be in church. When my nieces tell me they come out of church, they can't wait to go back, why is it that the enemy is throwing everything to families on Sunday? All the games, all the sports, all the events, they're all on Sunday. Why? Because he's trying to take out a generation, keep them from knowing God. Why? Because children have faith that's greater than adults sometimes. Anybody want to hear this? Okay. So, oh, where in the world am I? Brian, thank you. So I'll get into that tomorrow. I want to skip over that. Let's start with key number one, and that is faith. If you are going to see miracles in your own life, and if you're going to see miracles working through your life, you're going to have to be a person who has childlike faith. We all know Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that idea of faith has with it an element of pursuit. There's an action that's attached to faith. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is an agreement with the word of God. Faith is seeing who Jesus is. And when it comes to our situation, there's something that he wants to mobilize us toward. I remember I was in Mexico City, and I was giving an altar call. And there was a woman on the front row who had double uh, leg braces on. She could barely stand. She couldn't walk. You know, she kind of looked like the tin man. She moved those legs. But when I gave the altar call, I saw her lean as though she wanted to run. And the Lord showed me when she moved to give her heart to Jesus, he began to heal her. And so I called it out. I said, Jesus is healing you right now. And she ran to the altar and ran completely well back from receiving Jesus. You see, there's, there's an action that's involved with faith. And faith knows that we're coming to God and that he's a rewarder. Hallelujah. How many of you know him as a rewarder? And oftentimes when I'm worshiping the Lord, when I'm reading this verse, I say, Lord, you know, we think of things so much as being the reward. But really, you are the reward. When we seek you, we don't need anything else when we find you. Amen. 
So this principle is for both the minister who's looking to have miracles applied through their life, but also for the one needing a touch from God. My family exhibited this particular kind of faith. I call it childlike faith. And I take it from Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. Let me read that. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know this passage has to do with humbling ourselves to receive Jesus as Savior because, I mean, let's just face it, adults deal with so many competing thoughts. They've been surrounded by so much negativity, by people's questions. They've been disappointed when they've prayed. There's so many things that in the course of life that can discourage us from believing because oftentimes we attach our faith to what we see or don't see. But little children have humility that when they're listening to Jesus, they just say, okay, I want what you've got. And so that same faith that gets a little child into heaven, I believe it's that same faith that continues to open up heavenly things to us. It's that pursuit of God. And I saw it on my parents until they were in their 80s. They had a sense of wonder about Jesus. In their hearts, if Jesus said it, it was going to happen. It was a reality. And they were always excited to see what Jesus was going to do. Childlike faith is a humble and a receptive faith. And I've seen both. Be honest with you. When I call to pray for people, I have you have people that you can see they're just ready and excited, and that's usually the first one I go to, by the way, because you know they're going to get something. But then you have those that you can see they've been beaten up by life. Well, I've got a pain here, and you pray. And, oh, I've got a pain over here too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and I I got a pain down here too. And before long, you're smacking them all over their body and nothing's happening because you can see they're so in tune to their body, to their flesh, to their pain that they really can't see Jesus as if my touch is going to heal them. My dad used to say, I couldn't heal a flea if it had a headache. You, know, you better not be looking to me. But there is an authority when we stand as the emissary of Jesus Christ that when we lay hands, we believe that that nail-scarred hand of Calvary is the one touching, the one healing. And we try to get people not to focus on us, but on the living Christ. And so this childlike faith is like a requirement for entering the kingdom, but also for discovering all the blessings of the kingdom. In this book, you'll read about Sharon. Sharon was a little girl that was in my dad's first pastorate in Glassport, Pennsylvania. At the time of this story, she was about five or six years of age. Dad had been working on her father because he would drop Sharon off at church 
and then he'd leave. And Dad said he tried so many different ways to tackle him in the parking lot, but he just always escaped him, wouldn't come to church with his daughter. But one day my dad had to fly back to Philadelphia, and while he was there, he received a call from the man, Father. And he called him for the first time, Brother Shambach. He said, Brother Shambach, Sharon needs you. She's calling for you. He said, what happened? She said she was out in the backyard playing with her cousins and a nail went right into her eye and shattered her eyeball and the doctors want to remove it. But she won't let us operate until you come. She says, I know if you call Brother Shambach, he'll come. Dad said, I'll be on the next plane. He went in and he knew all the doctors because he said he spent more time in the hospital than he did in church. And they said, hurry up, Bob, get your thing done so we can get our thing done. He said, I'm telling you, when I get my thing done, you're not going to have to do your thing. But he said, let me go deal with the real problem. I want you to hear this. He went to the waiting room and he found the father. He said, listen, you hold the key in your hand. You are the head of this household. Now, I'm going to pray for Sharon, and God's going to touch her, but it all begins with you. Are you ready to give up and give your heart to the Lord? And right then, Papa dropped to his knees, gave his heart to the Lord, and Dad ran in to see Sharon. She said, Brother Shambach, I knew you'd come. He tells the story because I think it blew him away too. But he said he didn't pray a long prayer. He didn't have time to do it. He just put his hand on her patch. And he said, Lord, give Sharon a brand new eye. While he was finishing praying, the doctor walks in. He says, get out of here now. He says, wait, 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 wait. Before you go, just take another look at that eye. This is all happening in split-second timing. He says, what do you mean? I've been looking at that eye for the last couple of days. He said, just look at it. He took that patch, removed it. He said, oh, my God, I don't believe it and shut it down again. Dad said, what? He looked again. He said, I don't believe it. He says, that why, that's why you guys can't do anything for her. You don't believe anything. But when Dad went over, Sharon had a brand new blue eye, completely healed, instantaneous, creative miracle. It was initiated by a child who had faith. This is what I'm trying to tell you, if I, could, if I could write it on your spirit. The devil is after your kids. He's trying to get them to take their life. He's trying to get them addicted to drugs. He's trying to get them into pornography. He wants to traffic them. He wants to destroy their life. He wants to destroy their psyche. He wants them demonized. We better do our due diligence to recognize that that childlike faith can be something that affects their generation, but we've got to be people who say, God, give me a double dose of that childlike faith so that when I talk to my children, they know he's alive. I want to see miracles, not because I'm mesmerized by them, but my kids need to know that Jesus is still alive and he's still doing the same things he did 2,000 plus years ago. And sometimes 
childlike faith. Are you still with me? I have a few more minutes. Sometimes childlike faith is just a simple offering. I love this passage. Did I write it down? Yeah, John chapter 6, 1 through 15. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Do you see what one child's faith motivated by saying, I'll give you my lunch, Lord. Maybe you can use my lunch. And Jesus took a child's lunch, a child's faith, a child's offering, and fed 5,000. And it caused a move within a whole congregation. There was a move in a generation. This is what I'm trying to tell you. We cannot assign our children to the back room any longer if we truly want to see God work in the miraculous. It's going to have to include our children. We've got to be people who contend for the supernatural. We've got to be people who are willing to talk about the goodness of God. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Once we get these kids addicted to their video games and their cartoons, it's going to take a little work to pry them away from it. That's why we got to start when they're young, because they're not going to want to give it up. And, and we've got to use wisdom with the way that we teach them. We've got to make it fun for them. We've got to involve them in the process. And if we do it like you got to do this or else, they ain't going to do it. But if you say, hey, we're going to pray, Jesus is real, and I've seen Jesus do some great things, and I just heard about him open up blind eyes, and we're going to pray for sister so-and-so as a family, and God is going to heal her. You believe that? Well, yeah. Okay, well, let's pray. And we pray every day right before dinner, and we ask God to do it, and we mark down the day. 
And we count the days to see how long it takes God to do that. And as a family, we see that person healed. And the next time, after we celebrate it, we throw a party. and say, look what God did. Let's go on to the next one. And we make it a family project to pursue miracles. Now we're just seeing them in our lives, but we're, we're offering them to a generation so they can see it while they're growing up. Is anybody hearing me tonight? I'm going to talk about one more thing tonight, and then we're going to pray. Something that I saw that was part of this childlike faith uh, that I saw my dad and my mother, and I actually saw in Oral Roberts, dad had him come to teach under the tent one time in Dallas, and he preached for two hours. I think I'm long-winded. But he taught about how God revealed to him that seed faith message. I had never heard it. I always thought it was a cliche. But God taught it to him when he didn't have any money. And I heard it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But when he told it, it was with that wide-eyed wonder, that excitement of hearing the voice of God, the excitement of that breakthrough and the miracle that took place in his life. And I began to believe in a different way because of the excitement that he had about it and the joy that he spoke with. My dad always had that. T.L. Osborne always had that. There was a joy in talking about the things of God. And I believe, folks, listen, that we have to get beyond coming to church and yawning and burying our heads in our hands and watching our wrists to see what time we're going to get out. And, oh, I hope I can drag back tomorrow. You know, life has just been beating me up lately. Well, if that's what we're modeling to our children, do you expect them to ever be excited about God? I think I'll ask the wall that. If we come dragging in and we're depressed all the time and we're never smiling and all we do is complain, oh, but I want miracles. Well, good luck. Get excited about Jesus. Get excited about his word. Be filled with expectation. You know, there's a passage in Scripture. People don't preach about it too much, but I love it. Luke chapter 10, write this down and study this. It says, at the same time, now this is right after the disciples came back so excited about seeing devils cast out. Remember, they were celebrating ministry, and Jesus gave them a little warning. Rejoice, rather. That's your name, right? But this is right after that, verse 21 and 23. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Isn't it exciting to know that Jesus had moments of joy and excitement? And when did he get excited? When his disciples got it. When they had a childlike faith that they were, were anxious to do exactly what Jesus told them. How many of you have had the experience of going out on the street and witnessing to somebody 
and you've seen them pray the prayer of faith. Have you ever had that feeling of exhilaration? Like when you came back home, that's all you could talk about? It's how they gave their heart to the Lord and how they cried and how the Holy Spirit, right, used you? What if that was an everyday experience, not once every 10 years? That we went out looking like spies, looking for who we can pray for. Where does God want to do a miracle? Where does the kingdom of heaven want to be advanced? Where in Brian is God going to get a hold of a college student? You know, they, they, I hear they tell him, you know, I don't have anything with miracles or speaking in tongues because that's not for today. That's cultish. But honey, let you find somebody who's about to take their life or they're strung out on drugs or, or, they, or they're all confused and you walk up and say, Jesus has got his eyes on you. Can I pray for you? And when you pray, all of heaven comes on them. When you pray, something breaks in their life. Listen, you don't have to argue doctrine with anybody. People are going to run toward the power of God. Hallelujah. But we got to get mobilized, church. Stop talking about what won't happen. But talk about what God is doing. He wants to give us a baptism of childlike faith. All right, I'm going to give you four... Five points, write them down. We can start on this tomorrow. How do I start to cultivate this gift of faith in my life? Number one, get around people who have this type of faith. They say, that's easier said than done. They're here. I heard Pastor Tunde was here. Do you know who he is? Good friend of mine. Find people who tell great big God stories, even if you have to go on the Internet. Number two, have a relationship with the Bible, especially the miracle stories. Romans 10, 17, say it with me. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So turn off the news, I beg you, and open the Bible. Number three, take notice of answers to prayer in your life. And praise God for them as they occur. It's good when you're praying to take a prayer journal. Mark the day that you pray and the day that it's answered. But don't forget to celebrate it out loud. Because that's how you begin to rehearse miracle stories. And use your mouth to declare his praises. Number four, this is more of a statement. Faith is a spiritual muscle that must be exercised to grow stronger. Do not back away from a challenge. Put God to the test. He's faithful. I remember asking my dad one time. I said, Dad, what happens when you lay hands on the sick and the person doesn't get healed? He said, I say, next. He says, if I start thinking I'm the healer, I'm, I'm sunk. He said, it's not my responsibility to heal them. It's my responsibility to do what Jesus told me to do. So I'm going to pray in faith, and I'm going to speak to their spirit man. But he said, I've got to venture out in faith. And the more you do that, the more you're going to exercise that muscle. And I will tell you up front, you may lay hands on 15 people, and they don't get healed. But the 16th one will. Just keep doing it. And then shout about it. <laughs> 
Number five, when you do get a testimony, talk about them. Talk about them to your children. You may not have all the answers, but let them ask the question. You know, my dad told me some crazy, crazy miracle stories. He told me about how he prayed for a man who had a bullet lodged behind his eyeball. And when he prayed, that bullet melted out of the pour into his hand, and it wasn't hot. He's holding cold liquid metal in his hand. How does that even happen scientifically? It doesn't. And when I asked the question, he said, I can't explain it. I'm just telling you what happened. Jesus did it. And then when he was in Indonesia, (laughs) oh, Lord, help us. There's so many I could tell. He was in Indonesia, and there was a woman who was bound by witchcraft, and he cast the devil out of her. Out of her pores came black nails, metal nails. And he, he took them home just because so, when he told the story, he wanted people to believe him. See, these are things that defy logic. They defy physics. They're, they're, if you tell the story, there will be people that scratch their heads. But the more we talk about it, what are we doing? We're wetting people's appetite. Can God really do that? Did you really see that? And we are building an expectation. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then we're going to pray. God brought it back to my memory while I was praying on how I was going to do the the, uh, ministry service tonight. When I was in New York City, I was studying the life and ministry of Jesus. And I said, Lord, how did you know what a person needed by looking at them? How did you know that? I mean, obviously, we know the theological thing. He worked by the Spirit, and he understood the knowledge and all that. But the Lord told me something. He said, Donna, when you look at a person, try to picture them as a five-year-old child. Try to picture them in the state where they still believe, where they've been unmarred, and they've been untouched, and speak to what you see. And when you speak to what you see, you're going to call faith out of their heart. And, you know, I don't always do that. But I felt led tonight that there are many here that you felt in some way your faith has grown, I'll use the word, a little rusted, It's been weather-worn. It's been abused a little by life. And you have felt like you've made a switch from believing to trying to analyze everything. And I'm going to tell you something. Your analytics isn't going to get you a miracle. It's going to have a rebirth of that childlike nature that says, Lord, I don't understand everything but I know you, and I love you, and I'm coming to you for my miracle. Stand to your feet. I'm going to ask a big, strong man to move that, because that's heavy. Hallelujah. If you're here tonight, and you need God to do a work in your life, but you recognize that there's 
a faith adjustment that needs to take place in you. You need God to get you back to that place where you first believed him, where it was real, where it was raw, where it was tangible, where there was excitement. And you want to drop that barrage of negativity, that cloud of oppression that you've been living under. I'm going to address that tonight. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith and just come and form a line from wall to wall across the front. You can come now. And we're going to start praying, believing. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, just stand shoulder to shoulder. Hallelujah. Straight line across the front, if you would. You say, Donna, I need God to take me back. Come quickly. Don't hang back. When the Holy Spirit draws you, that's the time to move. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Praise you, Jesus. As you're standing there, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you the place in your life? It may have been in your childhood. It may have been in the teenage years. To show you the moment when your faith started to be attacked. You might even be able to say, that's the day my faith died. That's when I stopped believing. Let the Holy Spirit take you back there right now. Holy Spirit of God. It may have come from a parent or a teacher. It may have come through a circumstance. Maybe Daddy walked out on you. Maybe you prayed and prayed, and you never saw the answer. The Holy Spirit is saying, tonight, I'm taking you back because I want you to know I've never left you alone. I've never left you alone. I've known you from before time began. I saw you when you were in your mother's womb. Hallelujah. I'm going to put some words in your mouth. And as I pray, I just want you to pray them after me. And it may not all apply to you, but just pray them out loud anyway. And then I'm going to come and pray for you. Hallelujah. Say, Father God, I recognize that time in my life where the enemy tried to steal my faith. Lord, you know I love you. You know I want to serve you with all of my heart. You know I want to be a voice for you in this generation. But I confess to you, sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I question. But I'm asking you to forgive me. For giving in to the lies of the enemy. For the times I've made his voice greater than yours. But Jesus, I hear you today. I know you love me. 
I know you hear me. And I ask you, Lord, give me that childlike spirit again. Give me that childlike faith in Jesus' name. Now lift your hands. Thank you, Lord. Just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Oh, Ramando Keresi. Hila Baroshi. Inda Korosando Shekere. God is taking you from the position of being broken. And he's restoring you. I hear him saying he's relaying your foundations tonight. And he's relaying them with heavenly gems and jewels. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www.equippingchurch.us.